for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Over the last sort of few weeks, we've been doing a series on Acts, and we had a slight break from that last week, but we're back into it again today. And I just wanted to start this morning really with just a recap, because what we've not been able to do this term is to do every single chapter in the book of Acts, we've taken key stories from it. And so there are sort of some bits in our series that are kind of big jumps in between different things. And so I thought it'd be quite helpful for you to, if I spend a couple of minutes filling in the gaps for you. Just to, before I go any further though with that, let me just remind you um, what we spoke about when Pete spoke to us last time. And, and in chapter eight of Acts, so in Acts is the story of the church after Jesus rises again from the dead, the church is formed. And then they go about and they tell people about what they've seen. They tell people that they've seen Jesus come back to life. And then the church starts. So groups of people who believe that this has happened get together and they form churches. And all of the time, as this is taking place in Acts, gradually these churches are getting bigger and bigger. And the the good news, that's the gospel, the, the news that Jesus has come back to life again, keeps going further and further and further out from Jerusalem into different parts of the Roman Empire. So if you imagine like an ever expanding circle of this knowledge, of this truth that Jesus came back to life again. It's gradually getting to different parts of the Jewish, uh, first of all, the Jewish kind of kingdom in terms of uh, Israel, but then further abroad to the Roman Empire as well. Pete spoke last time, though, about the first wave of persecution that hit the church. And so persecution is opposition. It's when, you know, you say you believe something, and rather than just somebody saying they disagree with you, they persecute you. They um, and so in some cultures, this still happens in the world today. People get imprisoned for believing in Jesus. People get told that they're not allowed to say what they believe. So, for example, you could take a small saying like, Jesus is king, which is the, the, the new title of Kanye West's new album, right? And in some countries in the world, if you just said Jesus is king, they would see that as a threat. And, um, and that was what was happening in, in this kind of time period, that, that people were saying that they believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, that had come to redeem Israel, that Jesus had risen again from the dead, and that Jesus was the Son of God. And as a result of it, they were getting put in prison, and they were getting pushed out of Jerusalem. And what was interesting about this was, this didn't actually stop the outbreak of the gospel. In fact, all it did was push it out further. So rather than, because what they tried to do is they tried to basically quash this kind of idea that Jesus was the king. And they tried to actually stop people talking about it. But all it did was it spread it out further. And it spread it out even further. Because actually people fled the persecution. So they just started telling people elsewhere instead. And so rather than it causing the flame of the gospel to die out, in fact, it just increased the flame of the gospel elsewhere. And look, actually, we'll find that even today, as I said, that there are parts of the world where Christianity um, can't be preached openly because there's fear of persecution, because there's fear of death. Um, and, And so... Um, It still happens today. And Jesus said this in Matthew. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. But yet he also says this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he says these two interesting things. And you could say, well, they, they don't sound like they meet up with one another, but they do. Actually, God's kingdom is always advancing. But at the same time, God's kingdom is always facing opposition. Okay? And that will be both in your life, but also in the lives of people around you as well. Wherever the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming back to life, is told to other people, there will always be opposition. Sometimes the opposition can be violent. Yet, the Bible says, yet we know that the kingdom is advancing. 
In fact, as we see in Acts 8, the reaction against the gospel only causes the gospel to advance further. So that's what happened in chapter 8. And in chapters 9 and 10, they kind of tell that kind of the next part of that story. And so in chapter 8, the person who's, who's kind of behind a lot of this persecution is, is a guy called Saul. And Saul ends up having this encounter with Jesus. He's traveling on a road to a place called Damascus, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, you're going to be the person who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people. And in chapter 10, then we have Peter, and Peter's like one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter um, encounters a vision from God, and Peter finds that actually God's telling him that the gospel's going to go to the Gentiles as well. So these two things kind of match up. Paul gets this this, uh, revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, and he gets told by Jesus that he's going to go and tell the gospel to people who aren't Jewish. And then Peter has a vision from God to say, actually, the gospel is for Jewish Jewish and non-Jewish people. And so when we get to chapter 13, we we find the church now in Antioch, um, which is another place, and they're trying to now work out what to do next. And so our, our reading today is from chapter 13 of Acts. And so what's happened is, is they've got to this point and the gospel's been preached to Gentiles and Gentiles have become Christians. And it's almost like they're at this moment as a, as a community where they go, what, what now? Like, what do, we, what do we do now? And I, I just have to apologise that the verses aren't going to come up on the screen because my computer decided it wasn't going to work and send the, the verses over to the back. So I'll read this to you. Um, and you can have to put up with my bad pronunciation of certain words. Um, I have tried to practice, but there are, yeah, anyway, you, you'll hear in a minute. Okay, so chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So a prophet is somebody who hears the word of God, and a teacher is somebody who teaches the word of God. So these prophets and teachers, Barnabas, that's who I'm named after, um, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, or Cyrene, depending on how you want to pronounce it, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after praying and fasting, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So these four verses are what, are what we're looking at today, okay? And you might think, well, there's not a lot there. There's, there's loads there. There's loads there for us as a church today, and I'm just going to unpack a few things for you. First of all, and it's something that I've touched on before, that actually what we find this group of leaders doing in Antioch is they meet together and they pray and they worship and they fast because they want to know what God's will is for their lives. They don't just wait around to hear it. They step up in devotion to God and they say, no, if we want to hear God's will for our lives, we're going to seek God. So first, my first point today, and I'm so, again, I'm sorry this won't come up on the screen. We are called to be a people of devotion and not a people of complacency. So God calls you to be somebody who's devoted to him and not complacent. Okay, not complacent. And I know I touched on this last time that I spoke, but I do think it's worth repeating again for you today. I think, actually, it's a drum that I could keep banging week on, week out. You see, it's really easy in our culture, in our Western culture, to become quite complacent about about a lot of things, let alone about being a Christian. And the danger is for us as Christians is that we take what we've got and assume that's kind of it. That that, that Actually, the Bible verses I know, that's fine for me. I'll kind of make do with what I know and I won't learn any more. Or even, even more, it's actually easy to find yourself in a position where you just kind of come to church as, an, as something you do in the week. That it's just something you just take part in once a week. 
And actually, the rest of your life really doesn't look that Christian, but you just turn up to church on a Sunday because that's kind of something that you do. It's really easy to get into that mentality. It's really easy to um, get into the mentality where you just kind of wait around for God to do something, but you don't actually take the authority or the step forward to go, no, I'm going to seek God for this area of my life. You see, we learn again and again in Acts as we read Acts, and as I said it last time, the, the church in Acts aren't that way. They don't behave like that. They never settle for where they're at. They're always looking, what's the next gospel opportunity for us as a community? And there's a verse just before our reading in 1224, and it says this, the word of God increased and multiplied. And what does that mean? That means that they were experiencing an increase and a multiplication of the gospel message, both around them, but also in their lives. That It was like God was changing them internally, whilst they were seeing God change other people as well. The word of God increased and it multiplied. More and more people were finding out the truth that Jesus came back to life again. These disciples were experiencing then the amazing events that they were because they were putting in the hard yards of praying and devoting themselves to Jesus. And that's really, really important for you. Some people will say, God never speaks to me. God, I never hear God's voice. But actually, look, do you seek God? Do you, do, you, do you pray? Do you worship? Do you fast? You know, there's something about saying, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to eat this meal that I normally eat at this time of the day. Instead, I'm going to seek God. Instead, I'm going to spend time worshipping God. Okay, that's actually a spiritual discipline, but it's also in that sometimes God starts to speak to you. So do you, are you seeking God for your life? Or are you just fed up that he doesn't say anything to you? Do you read the Bible? Because that's the primary tool that God uses to communicate with us. So are you reading it, or are you just waiting for a voice from heaven to say, hello? Okay, I mean, where are you at with that? Um, just read, I, I, I have the privilege of meeting other church leaders, and um, I got to meet, um, well, I'm getting to know a, a leader from Milton Keynes, who's another Catalyst church leader, a guy called Richard Whiteman, and uh, he leads a church called New Life Church. And um, his, his story is an incredible one. He used to be the, the third highest person in British Rail. Um, and then he felt God calling him, telling him to lay down what he was doing as a job and take up this church leadership role. And he took over this group of about 150 people, meeting in a hall smaller than the Riverside. Um, and they've grown from 150 to 900. I mean, it's an incredible story. And if you meet him, he's a lovely guy. And you, you, you're going, how did you do this? Like, how, how on earth did you do this? Um, and he, it's just incredible how, how God's moved in their church. And so anyway, I'm, I'm talking to him, we're on the train together, and I'm trying to find out what's happened. What's happened to get this church from 150 people to 900? And I'm, so I'm asking him, oh, did you, did you put on some events? You know, did you, how did you do it? Is there a certain structure? Is there something that we could learn for Ashford? That's what I'm thinking. And it got to the point where... We started talking about prayer, because I'm, I'm doing a, an essay for my master's on speaking in tongues, so we started talking about prayer, and, um, and he said, oh, prayer's the key. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, prayer's the key. He said, he said I found out one day, about 20 years ago, that the, the Korean church pray for two hours a day, so I committed myself, this is what he said to me, to out-Koreaning the Koreans. <laughs> so he prays for at least two hours a day. I'm like, wow. And no wonder, therefore, that God's then just done something through the church because he's committed to God. He's praying every day. So I've now committed I'm going to out Richard Whiteman, Richard Whiteman, and I've started praying more than I ever have done before, and I would like to try and get up to two hours and then go beyond it because I think that actually 
It's really important that we as leaders demonstrate something to you. I'm not expecting you as somebody who, you know, I've done the hard miles of working, getting out of the house at six o'clock and driving up to London every morning, and I realised that praying for two hours in that context wouldn't work for you. But actually, if I can demonstrate something to you about devotion, so I'm spending the first two hours of my day praying, because I want to demonstrate to you that actually prayer is essential for the Christian life. But that also, if we want to see God touch Ashford, we need to be a people of prayer and a people of devotion. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God come and change the situation, don't get cross at God. Go to God and say, God, would you come and change the situation? See, I've said this before, um, but it's a great quote. John Piper once said this, the church isn't a cruise ship, but it's a battleship. It's not a cruise ship, but it's a battleship. It's a great quote. See, the church isn't a place where all our needs are catered for, where we come to be served on a Sunday morning where we are consumers of Christianity. It's so easy to become a consumer of Christianity and the Christian experience, but it's a battleship. What does that mean? Well, it's a place to come together. It's a place to fight together, to fight for one another. It's a place to take ground together, to push back the enemy together. It's a place to serve together and to love one another. And it's a place to make Jesus' kingdom known to all of Ashford. And we do that as we come together. It's a battleship. We fight together. We don't just come to be served, but we come to serve. You see, we are a battleship, not a cruise ship. And that's an encouragement to you. If you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God step in, you need to put in the hard yards. You see, the answer isn't another snazzy gospel track to hand out to your neighbour or a well-thought-out argument to them. It's prayer. It's praying for them daily. It's saying, God, would you come and meet this person? God, would you just use me? God, I just want to demonstrate your love to them. So it's not, you know, we can always look for the new thing, but sometimes... That seems like the easy answer, rather than putting in the hard yards before God. We need to be a people of prayer. So devotion, not complacency. Um, you see, here's a good quote from Daryl Bock. He said this, Mission is grounded in God's command and the response of a church engaged in devotion. So we step out to do mission. A mission's not just going to other countries to tell people about Jesus, but mission is what you engage in every time you step out of the house every morning. We, we do mission as a result of being engaged in devotion to Jesus. As we worship God as individuals and devote ourselves to him, we will continue to find his plan unfolding for us. Okay? As, we, as a church, as we prioritise seeking his presence, it's one of our core values. I'm confident that God will continue to show us what the next step for us is as a church. So, firstly, this, this group of leaders were a group uh, who continued in devotion to Jesus. And secondly, there's something very profound about this group as well. They are incredibly diverse. They're a really diverse group of people. Um, let's just, just look at that for a second. So, we've got Barnabas. Barnabas is a Cypriot Jew. He's from Cyprus. He's Jewish. We have Paul, who's this, who was Saul, but he uh, is also called Paul. And he was an educated Pharisee who turned believer in Jesus. We've got Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, Niger is, is Latin for black. So this Simeon was most likely from North African heritage. Um, and then, as, as an aside, John Stott actually links that Simeon to Simon of Cyrene, who carries the cross of Jesus. We have Lucius of Cyrene, who was like Simeon, who would have been from North Africa as well. And then we have Manaean, a member of Herod's court. What does that mean? Well, if you were a member of Herod's court, who was the ruler of Israel... You were probably quite wealthy. You were probably quite wealthy and well-educated. So we've got this really interesting group of people. We've got people from very different parts of the Roman Empire and very different social backgrounds. This group of people is really diverse. 
Here we see a group of people from different backgrounds praying and worshipping and working together. You see, and that leads, that leads me to this point. We, we, we're called to be a people of diversity and not division. We're called to be a people of diversity and not division. As a church, we are so blessed. I look around the room and I see people who have clearly, you know, have heritage in lots of different parts of the world. And actually, we are so blessed as a community that we don't all look the same as one another. And that's, that is a blessing on us. We're a church made up of different generations. We've got old people and young people in this room. We're from different social backgrounds. Some of us will have degrees, some of us won't, and that's totally fine. We're, we have different types of jobs. We're from a, a wide variety of nationalities and ethnicities. We are definitely a diverse church. And it's something we should be proud of. It's something we should celebrate. It's something that we need to grow in. Um, I'm going to just read from this now, and it's actually quite long, but it's, uh, it's, uh, we might be able to put it up on the screen, actually, uh, Sunil, if you can. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And it's verse 13. Because actually, this is really important. You need to hear all of this this morning about, about what, what it means to be diverse and the challenges that that comes with as well. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul writes this. We were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So he's talking about different people from different backgrounds, Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. So he's saying... You could, you could, we could take this and change it to black or white, rich or poor, okay? So whatever background we're from, we're part of one body, is what Paul's saying. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And he goes on to say this. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but the one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, whilst our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. So what's he saying there? What's he saying there? He's saying, look, no matter where you are from or what your background is, don't discount yourself to be part of this body. Don't say, oh, because I'm black, I can't belong to this body. Or because I'm, I don't have a degree, I can't belong to this body. Or because I'm old, I can't belong to this body. Or I don't belong to this body. That's, he's saying, no, you do belong to the body. You are part of it. You are part of the body. It's really important that we understand that. You see, the young can't say to the old in this church, we don't need you. We need you. The, the old can't say to the young, we don't need you either. You see, we need one another. We mustn't rule ourselves out based on our background. For example, you can't say, you know, because I'm from such and such a country, I can't be part of this church. Every one of us, each one of you is important to God. You are important to him. And you're important to this church body. Our backgrounds matter. Our heritage matters. So how do we grow in celebrating our diversity? How do we ensure that we don't get stuck in division and we celebrate diversity? Well, we take Paul's advice. We treat 
other people as indispensable. So we treat the weak as indispensable. We treat those wanting to hide away with special honour. We care for one another. We give greater honour to those in our community who may not always receive it, outside of it. Um, I grew up in Norwich with James. Um, I had no understanding of diversity at all. People laugh who have been there. Um, There are two friends at my school from different backgrounds. One was Chinese and the other was Indian. That was it. That was literally my kind of cultural kind of understanding outside of Norwich. And so my first day at university when I I got to London at Elephant and Castle was a bit of a shock to me. Um, it It was like an airport lounge and the nations of the world were there. It was incredible. And I was, it was a bit of a shock, I'm not going to lie. Um, and and I, was, I was shocked, and I still am shocked, if I'm honest with you, that as I developed friends at the time with people from different like, countries, so I had Ghanaian friends, Nigerian friends, and some Jamaican friends as well particularly, that the, the racism that they still suffer, the racism they still encounter day in, day out. Um, and I'm sure those here from other backgrounds would testify that they have experienced that themselves as well, that actually we don't live in a society where this doesn't happen anymore. It still happens. See, we need to give greater honour to those in our community who may not always receive it outside of our community because we're demonstrating something back to the world around us. We need to love one another. Um, We need to keep examining ourselves to see if we're unconsciously biased towards or against certain types of people. You know, are all my friends like me? Are all my friends white male, middle-class people? Or or have I got a diverse group of people around me? Am I looking to make friends with people who don't look like me, who aren't from the same background as me? Am I looking to connect with them? You see, as Paul writes, there should be no division in the body, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. And it's something we need to keep working hard on as a church because it's so easy to keep going to people who just look like you. It it just is. That's just the reality of it. Um, We need to keep working hard as a church at honouring one another, at championing one another. And there's this really horrible phrase, being colourblind. And that basically sort of, pretend, let's all pretend that we're all the same. Actually, we need to recognise that we're all different, actually, and that we'll have different backgrounds, and that we'll have different heritages, and that actually we aren't the same. And we need to champion in that, and we need to celebrate in that together. Rather than pretending it doesn't exist, we need to actually push into it and find out our differences so we can work together and love one another. It's so important. And we're on a journey on this as a church. We, we really are. The, the leadership in this church, and just generally serving in this church, we are often too white, too what, too male, okay? We are. We're on a journey on this. And we, we want to grow in this as a leadership. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to keep looking the same way. We want different people from different uh, nationalities, different cultures to be leading and taking responsibility in this church because we believe it speaks something back to our community around us that there are no divisions in the body of Christ, that actually God has calling a people from every tribe, tongue and nation to himself. We testify something back to the world around us. And that leads me to my last point, um, which is this. You see, we're, to, we're called to be a people who believe in multiplication and not in our own individual min- ministry. So multiplication, not my ministry. You see, the danger is, is we can get caught in a position where we start to hold on to something and we don't release it to other people. Um, And that can mean that we think that, oh, nobody can do this job better than I can in church. Nobody can lead worship better than me. Nobody can put the chairs out better than me. Nobody can do the kids' work quite as well as I can. Or what we do is we go, oh, they can't can't do it because of this or because of that or because of this reason. You know, we, we can get into a situation where we start to 
actually get so tied up with our identity in God and the ministry we do that we won't let anybody else have a hand on it. And we need to be a church that is always multiplying what we do as a community. So if you're doing something in church, if you, if you serve in any way, my encouragement to you is to find somebody else who's interested in serving in that area and train them up and look to help them grow in that area of ministry. And likewise, if you're in this church at the moment and you can't seem to see where you could fit in in terms of serving, but you would like to get to do something, why not approach somebody who is doing that thing you would like to do and say, hey, I'd really like to get involved in this area of life in the church. Because we're about multiplication. We want to grow you in your gift that God's given you. Each one of you is important to God. And each one of you has a role to play here at Gateway. And, and actually, we are about a work together, and we want everybody to be included in that. And so we need to be careful that we don't put ourselves first, but we put others first. I think that there are multiple challenges that come from just those four verses in Acts 13. And I've, I've gone through three of them today. Um, I, I would say this, and this really... I was joking about this being a little bit, a little bit clunky linking to Remembrance Day, but I actually don't think it is. I actually think this quite, there's something poignant in this that, that speaks into what I've been speaking about. Um, most of you will know the story of Dunkirk. So at Dunkirk, what happens is, is that the, the British expeditionary forces are pushed right back to the beach at Dunkirk. The Germans have advanced on them, and they are literally stuck on this beach, and they have no way of getting off. And then this miracle happens. The German forces stop advancing. For a certain window of time, they don't, they don't move forward. And there's, there's theories about why that happened, but I think it was God's miracle, really, that did it. Um, and so this, this, this whole group of soldiers is stuck in Dunkirk, over 330,000 soldiers. And, and what happened was, is that there was a fleet of boats came across the channel, and they came and rescued these soldiers. And it was the most unlikely fleet you've ever seen in history, there were trawlers, there were um, fishing boats, there were pleasure cruisers, there were other army and uh, navy vessels there. It was the most diverse group of boats you've ever seen. But they worked together to come and rescue people off the beaches. You see, God's called you to be part of his rescue plan for the world. And you might think that you've just got a boat with one place in it. You might think, actually, I've got a lot I can give here. We're all called. It doesn't matter how you feel, you're called to be part of it. You're called to take part in this rescue operation. And this rescue operation isn't just saving some soldiers from a beach, which was incredible and fantastic, but it's actually saving people from eternal darkness. It's actually rescuing people eternally. You know, we're all called to this as a church community, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. The most unlikely fleet in history. You see, actually, in some ways, people go... Wow, it's unlikely, isn't it, that a group of people so diverse can be friends with one another. But we can do it, because we're called to be that way. And we can also be emboldened by people like those amazing people who went across the channel at Dunkirk to rescue all those soldiers. You see, if they can do that, surely we can go and work together. Surely we can go and tell people about Jesus together. Surely we can push back the darkness in Ashford together. If they can be so emboldened as to deal with missiles and, uh, and bullets firing at them as they went to those beaches without any training at all, surely we can likewise go into our workplaces this week and say, do you know what, I believe in Jesus. You know, actually that should embolden us. You see, we all have a part to play. So don't discount yourself from being part of this church community. Don't discount yourself from getting more involved here. Don't discount yourself for what God might want to do in, in you. Don't look at others and say, they're much more equipped to do that than I am. I'll let them get on with it. You've got a part to play. 
And don't try and do all the work yourself either. You know, those boats relied on one another. If a boat had 100 places, it still needed the next boat that had one place on it because there was still somebody else to come and save. Actually, we need to work together. We are not all able to do the work on our own. You see, God's got an amazing rescue plan. And, and the rescue plan comes with this amazing promise of success. And this is from Revelation. It says this, After this I looked, and there was a people before me, great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, what we're doing here as a church is eternally significant. We are demonstrating something about what it's going to be like in heaven. We're demonstrating something about what it looks like to be God's people. We're not a unicultural church. We are a multicultural, diverse group of people. And you know what? That is exactly what that day in Revelation is going to look like. It's exactly what it's going to look like. And we need to keep working hard at that and keep working together on that. But the rewards are amazing. It's amazing to know that we can experience just that little bit of, of, the, of the life to come now as we get to know one another from different cultures and different backgrounds. It's an incredible promise that we carry. You see, there's a day coming when people will gather from every tribe, tongue and nation to worship Jesus. And as we carry on our work as a church, we demonstrate through our diversity, through our diversion, and through our multiplying ministry, a small example of what that will look like. And you are invited to take part in that. And so my encouragement to you as we finish today is think about how you might step up in your serving at this church. Think about how you might step into this community. Maybe it's about joining a group. Maybe it's about walking across the room in the coffee air at the end and speaking to somebody who doesn't look like you. Maybe it's not disappearing straight off after church today because you think it's just certain people in the coffee area, but that you go through and just say hello to somebody. Okay, so everybody, we're all called to play a part in this and we're all called to step forward in our relationship with one another and with Jesus. Let me just pray before I hand over to James. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you you've called us to be a people. And Lord, we just, we, as we go into this act of remembrance today, I pray you'd help us to remember that we do it together as a group of people. We do it together as a family. Lord Jesus, we want to grow in our love for one another and our love for you. Amen.